In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I go over the Sixers 133-122 overtime win over the Los Angeles Lakers, a win where they blew a 16-point fourth quarter lead in the final four minutes of regulation before dominating in overtime, snapping their three-game losing streak. This normal, normal team. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. You know, Rich, we finally have a win to talk about. Uh, we have a career night from DeAnthony Melton. You have Joel Embiid completely owning AD. You even have a PJ Tucker made three-pointer. I went back this morning and rewatched the tape just to make sure I had that correct in my notes. <laughs> is it possible we have a, uh, we'll have a positive podcast today? Yeah, we'll find out. But before we get to that, how are you, buddy? I'm good, man. I think uh, we'll have an interesting podcast with with good and bad, and at least at least it's not the tone of like, oh my god, that's the biggest collapse lead. But like, let's be fair, it was very close. The, the only reason that that is the case is because Austin Reeves and Anthony Davis went a combined three of five from yeah. the line at the end of the game. Four or five? Oh yeah, it's it's disaster time, man. It is. All the knives are out. That's a movie, right? No, knives out's a movie. Sure, yeah. I don't know. Good movie, um, yeah, with, uh, what's his name? With Daniel Craig, sorry. N- oh. New one's coming out on Netflix. You should watch it. Good murder I haven't, I haven't seen it. I will go check it out. Um, Yeah, that was, talking about living on a razor's edge, like that was, like you said, they had two free throws in the final minute, uh, where if they make, or final 10 seconds, where if they make either of those two, we're having a very different podcast. And quite frankly, I don't want to say victory lap, because everyone acknowledged how absurd that was, the final especially minute of that game was, but <laughs> final four minutes of that game, everyone sort of acknowledged like, Hey, that can't happen. But they did want to pat themselves on the back for sort of like course correcting there in overtime. And you know, uh, yeah, eh, I don't want to give them too much credit. Cause that was a very self inflicted wound that they had to, uh, or grave that they had to dig themselves out of those final four minutes. You know, I think they were up 16 minutes with, or 16 points with four minutes left. I think they're up even like seven points in the final 30 seconds. It was something absurd like that. For that game to go to overtime, and quite frankly, they got lucky for it to go to overtime against a pretty bad Los Angeles Lakers team. Oh boy. Ooh, that was something else. And there's plenty of good to talk about from that one. But that was that you can't start this talking about this game without talking about the end of it. It's funny that they wanted to pat themselves on the back for course correcting in overtime, like you said. What I think is the more positive element is that they played pretty well for most of the game. Yeah. They were up 16 points at the end. Embiid was, I think, pretty flawless. We can, we can get into him a little bit later. But yeah, I mean, those last four minutes, it's uh, it's as bad as it gets. So let's, I guess we got to start with that. Let's start with that, and then we'll finish on the the more positive notes. Have you ever seen anything like that? I, I've never seen a team actively give away a lead. <laughs> like, it was just the amount of mistakes where on every single possession, they did the one thing you can't Every one. And they had to do that like 10 times in a row. And somehow (laughs) they did it. And it was, uh, look, it it was a nightmare. Um, So I'm going to run through the mistakes I have. I I just took some notes on on all the mistakes (laughs) I saw. Uh, And it it started with about four minutes left. They were up 16 with four minutes left. First one, uh, Harden... Wide open righty layup 
off a pick and roll. He, he just missed it. And then transition defense disaster on the other end bucket. Then there was a possession where Joel posts up, gets the double, Harden record scratch where it's a clear swing to shake Milton. And yet he ends up isoing Austin Reeves. And then he throws the ball after the defense is long reset to shake Milton. He throws a complete grenade to him. I mean, like that's one where that's not on Harden's stats, but that was his fault. That play. Uh, Then they throw it to Joel. Honestly, during the stretch, they did two, two times. They gave Joel the ball and they were the only two positive things. And this one was a dunk on a switch against Austin Reeves. Uh, then easy bucket for Russell Westbrook can't have that happen. So after those hard, after that hard mistakes, they somehow they go to shake to run pick and roll, and he hooks Austin Reeves on the next play, like early in the shot clock. So another quick turnover, but probably like the seventh or eighth worst mistake here because at least that wasn't a live ball turnover that turned into a bucket on the other end. Speaking of live ball turnovers, James Harden two in a row under two minutes, yeah. he gets stripped from behind by Russell Westbrook dunk on the other end. Yep. Then he throws a lazy skip pass to Tobias Harris. Very lazy skip pass. For yep. when, when honestly, just get the ball to Embiid. And then it's a three-point play on the other end. Like the, the transition defense is just a nightmare on the other end of this. And Harden, who is the point guard who's supposed to be getting you good shots and taking care of the ball, is like, I don't know how to say it. Like, you, you can't make those mistakes. It's crazy. But by the way, we still got plenty more left. Yeah, it's, not just, it's not just Harden. Um, then they run another play for Joel. That's when they get that DeAnthony Melton three. And I thought it was interesting. Remember the two plays he screwed up against Houston the other night where he, he jumped and, and, yeah. and passed. It's a pretty similar play. It's a, it's a left elbow ISO, but Melton starts under the basket and relocates and Joel gets all the way into the paint. It's a way to show that like, I, again, I'm still not crazy about ISO fest. I, I have not ju- jumped off that, uh, that take but at least they got some movement at least they got joel under control at least melton is not standing in that same spot at all times and d'anthony hits a three because d'anthony was freaking awesome i mean those were your two best players last night joel and d'anthony by a mile they a mile. were they're your, yep. your best players uh okay next play harden lets pat bev go buy him for a layup i mean i don't know like he was helping on russ and then just a, a bad closeout okay you're going to give Pat Bev a layup, so that's not good. Uh, and, like, Harden is just – he's not getting the ball on these last turnovers at the end when when Shake throws the ball away, when Tobias throws the ball away. Melton tries to throw the home run pass to, uh, to P.J. Right pass. Horrible execution, though. Like, also, P.J. is, like, standing in the corner. Dude, stand under the basket, too. Like, th- there's just blame to go all around here. Like, I feel like he should have been able to track that ball down. And then, to finish it off, I mean, again, I kind of skipped over the the last couple of turnovers that, that DeAnthony pass inbounding the ball. And by the way, this team over the past couple years, doesn't matter the personnel, they are the worst late-game inbounding team you will ever see at any level of mm-hmm. basketball. I see sixth graders who do a better job at, at that. Um, and and the other thing that just can't go unremembered. Okay, Matisse. you get it to where you're up three. And Matisse Thibel, yeah. here's the thing. like A lot of people call for him to be a late-game sub defensively. How many times does he actually a put lot. the team on the line trying yeah. to make the Superman block? I at this point I I feel like I, I like Matisse, but I'm I'm not sure you can play him when 
the downside is that high. It's the one thing you can't do. Now, in fairness to him, the other five guys did the thing you can't do as well 11 times. But in that scenario, it's like, why? You know, he actually had some good minutes in the first half, too. But that's just a disastrous decision. And it's something, you know, we've seen in a lot of games and in a lot of big games, too. You know, the Trey Young stuff, too. Yeah. And they get lucky where, uh, you know, those guys miss the free throws. So to wrap that up, just a nightmare. And and do you want to blame the coach? Yeah, like it, it happens to the coach all the time. And I, I don't understand why why this keeps happening. Like why it, it just happens to Doc Rivers team. It happens to Sixers. It happened under Brett Brown too, but it happens to Doc Rivers teams a lot. And I understand why there is a lot of frustration there. Like that that shouldn't happen. On the other hand, there's like 50 years of NBA experience on the court there. Like, yeah. do you have to hold James Harden's hand to get open and not make critical mistakes? I, I don't know. So it, um, I mean, it was a complete failure for everybody. It was a calamity and they're really, really fortunate <laughs> to get away with it. Cause it was, I, you don't see that happen in the NBA. Just really bad stuff all around. So to recap Rich's eight minute rant here, the Sixers in the last four minutes of the game were outscored 25 to nine. The Lakers shot 8 for 11 from the field, got to the free throw line 10 times. The Sixers shot 3 for 5 from the field, which, if you ignore everything else, fine. They shot the ball well. But they had 7 turnovers over the last 4 minutes. 6 in the last 2. They turned the ball over every which way. In completely unique, creative way. I give them points for creativity on on these turnovers. (laughs) Throwing the ball off of people's heads, inability to dribble. It was astounding. And it's one of those ones where like, you're sort of like laughing on press row at the beginning. Cause it's like, all right, like this is absurd, but there's no way that Los Angeles can come all the way back. And then you're sitting there with Reeves at the free throw line and then 80 at the free throw line after that going, Oh my God, this is actually going to happen. It was, it, and, and you're right. Like some of the out of bounds plays should have been more creative. There should have been more movement. There should have been something, some, something done to free someone. But holy shit, you should not have to hold James Harden. I mean, you commented on press row all the time last night that it looked like he was actively trying to give that game away. It was absurd. It was one of the biggest meltdowns I've seen. Regular season caveats apply in quite a while. And to have that followed up, look, it's good they ended up a three ga- or ended a three-game losing streak, I suppose. It's a better performance than what they had against Houston. But who boy, that was that was that was one for the ages. That was real close to infamy. Real close. It's I mean, it's just situational stuff too. Like this is just basic get fouled, execute, don't give up open buckets on the other end. Like the what I would call the normal in the flow version of the NBA game, James Harden played pretty well and the Sixers played pretty well. I it, it just it, it this team, it just happens to them all the time and uh it's uh, I don't know, man. They got they got yeah. really lucky. I don't yeah. know what else to say. Yeah, I mean they 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 played pretty well with the exception of that second quarter. The defense that second quarter was abysmal. Um, but they made enough shots and Embiid was superhuman in that. What, what do you have? Twenty in the first quarter? Yeah, he was unbelievable. I think eighty picked up three fouls in like what the first five minutes or something like that. Uh, Third one Embiid, was so bad. Yeah, you don't foul PJ Tucker when he's cutting. He's not shooting that ball. He's not shooting. He's not man. shooting that ball. Um, yeah. It was, and then DeAnthony Melton came out and he was making like legitimately everything, including one, he got a ticking time bomb thrown to him, almost got the shot off, maybe arguably got the shot off. 
ball found nothing but net. He was making every catch and shoot shot he had and also ended up the night with what he ended up the night with career high in points, three pointers made and steals. Uh, he had by far. What, was it a career high in steals? I don't know, but I'm it, pretty it, sure it was a career high in steals. OK, he, the other he two were career highs. Certainly the best game of his Sixers career. And I think probably the best game of his NBA career. He's now shooting 42 percent, I think 42.9 percent on catch and shoot shots which since they're almost all threes, that's an effective field goal percentage of like 63%. He's shooting extremely well off the catch. I think the one time I criticized him was that step back. He took a little early, but he ended up redeeming himself in a huge way. He was fantastic. And it took every one of those points for the Sixers to have a chance to beat a, a pretty bad, playing better, but still a pretty bad, especially when you have AD limited the way he was. You should have rolled that team. Um, and the combination of the second quarter defense <clears throat> And especially that fourth quarter collapse really soured what was a, you know, a win that at the very least ended a losing streak. I mean, they kind of did roll the team, though, like in the for parts, for sure. Well, for they sure. were up 16 points with four minutes left. I, I think that qualifies as rolling a team. But the end of the game is just yeah. completely rolling it. So that's why, you know, the general performance for most of the game, it's like, look, the Houston game, as we spoke about on the last pod. That was some nightmarish late game execution. Not in the same way. It was a close game. It, that was, you know, stagnant offense, not just turning the ball over and trying to lose a game that you had won. But they were terrible for that entire night. Like I think yeah. they were pretty good for most they of it. And again, I completely the agree. Early with you. second non Embiid minutes notwithstanding. Also, Joel Embiid just owns Anthony Davis. This yeah. is back to when his Pelicans days. And even Joel was not the the guy he is now, the the well-rounded scorer, perimeter guy, he has just, he smoked him at every turn. And, you know, AD, who has struggled over the past couple of years, he struggled with injuries a lot too, uh, has been playing fantastic basketball lately, and it just didn't matter. Like, even though the Sixers were struggling, didn't matter. Like, Joel was going to put fouls on him, Joel was going to score on him, and I mean, you saw it in the first quarter. It made a huge difference. Like, going from AD, even when Joel smokes AD, going from AD guarding Joel to Thomas Bryant yeah. guarding Joel, it's a pretty big drop. Thomas Bryant, doesn't that remind you of some of those Wizards games that were like yep. 125, 120, where, yeah, okay, Thomas Bryant's going to hit some threes, but the level of resistance on the other end, I mean, my God, I thought Embiid was going to like literally tear down the basket on that one dunk. Yeah, no, that was one of the best dunks Embiid's had in quite a while. Quite a while. What a stretch, too. He he almost turned down the basket. Then he falling away three at the buzzer, yep. And that was amazing because I'm surprised the basket didn't come down on the dunk because it was so forceful. And the, for him to make that shot, ridiculous shot, like fading into the bench, which, I mean, I, I talked about this last year when he made the shot against Toronto. He When he's like fading to his left at the end of the shot clock, he shoots beyond better. the three-point line it's a he shoots a crazy percentage I didn't have a number for that I had a number for the you know the the shot clock and where you know where he shoots under five seconds after a couple dribbles but it feels like he makes all of them uh just a a bananas sequence and for Joel to score 20 points right away I mean he he was awesome and that that is the example of a game where uh, let me let me ask you about this because I think he who reads everything saw some stuff this week where you know, people say, oh, man, you got to be better. You, you know, the super the six are struggling. You got to be more of a superstar. And last night's game is an example of why I struggle with that. It's like, OK, yeah, there, are there games? Are there times where he could do a little bit more, where he could 
you know, box out Steven Adams on key possessions. Like, yeah, I, I definitely think so. He could show a little bit more energy on uh, on defense, even if his defense is, is generally very good. Sure. Uh, you know, are, are there times where sometimes he gets a little too ISO heavy? Yeah, yeah, fine. Um, but on the other hand, they're minus 59 in the yeah. 57 <laughs> yeah. minutes he hasn't played of the past couple games. What is he supposed to do with that? You, you can't. That's not a way to win. I don't, I don't know. So I don't know. I, I think sometimes the default response from some people is just like, ah, we need more from the superstar. And look, I, I agree. Like we hold him to a high standard that there are times there are, you know, shades of, of gray here where he, ah, man, can you get a little bit more from him even though you're playing really well? Yeah. Yeah. I understand that. But on the other hand, like he played a pretty perfect game last night and with the minutes that Paul Reed played in the first half and the crazy unforced errors at the end of the game, which he was only, he was very, he, he was the least of the problems there. The guards couldn't get the ball in and he was the only one who was creating good shots. It's just like, I don't know how much you can blame him. Yeah. No, I mean, I think, look, I will get on Joel at times for, you know, energy level, getting back in transition and a little bit at times turnovers. For the most part, like my biggest problems with this team come down to a lot more right now, James Harden and perimeter play and and getting that kind of player that they need. Um, I think Joel Embiid is, I mean, he's, he gets the brunt of the frustration because he is the one that has been um, here the longest. He has been the one constant. He has had the playoff struggles and because he's injured a lot and not always in the best shape. Uh, but right now he is far from the top of their problems far from well that's where everybody is screaming watching this because they're mad at us that the the coach is the biggest problem and it's you know look i, I think if if you want to blame him for for some of that late game collapse i i yeah I, I think he definitely deserves some blame there but man i i don't know man it's just not fun talking about this team right now because everybody no. wants the coach fired so much to the Everyone point where like coach fired nobody believes in harden and it's not a not a very good I, see, I think it's way more the former. I think it's oh, way sure. way more that people want the coach fired. And it's like, yeah, like I, I, I'm not even coming out here saying that that's like the worst thing in the world. Like, but just when we're talking about a game and just being like, yeah, it, man, uh, Embiid is, is really good or, you know, Harden is struggling. It's just like people don't want to hear that. They just want to yeah. hear that Doc Rivers has to be fired and he is like the the biggest reason. So it's just like. I don't know. I, I've mentioned this a lot this year, earlier in the year. It's just like, it is a toxic fan base environment. I have never seen a fan base so down on their coach than this one is. And it's like, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I just like talking about the games. And even if that is kind of the big storyline hanging, I, by the way, I'm not sure it's a storyline. I, I don't know. I don't know if there, there was some talk. There was some talk after the game. Like if they lose him, do they fire doc? No, I don't think teams tend to be that reactionary. Uh, I think teams look at it a little longer term. I don't think it's a, a single game failure here or there that we are on the precipice of something happening. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, I don't know. And but like, look, they're not making it easier. No. They're like when you blow a 16 point lead, it's like, all right, well, people are going to keep calling for the coach's head, which, okay, I, I get it. I, you know, I, I get it in some ways, you know, you know, it's, and now uh, you're at a point where you have six more games in this homestand. Not all of them easy. Like there's some, I mean, you got the Hornets, 
So you should have a two-game winning streak going in. But then you've got the Kings, so if you don't play well and if you turn the ball over against them, they will run it down your throat. Light the beam. You've got the Warriors. Raptors are struggling, sure. And then Pistons and Clippers. They have a chance to reel off a couple wins here and maybe change the vibe around the team a tiny bit, but they have to actually execute and they have to play good basketball. And last night showed that even if they have a beatable opponent, even if they have an opponent who, you know, Anthony Davis, who's playing the best ball on that team, is in foul trouble and limited, they can still cough it up if they're not at the top or even close to the top, if they're not playing decent basketball, they could lose almost, maybe not the Hornets. They should really pound the Hornets. Outside of that, they could lose any one of these games. They could also win any one of these games. Uh, so they have a chance to rewrite the uh, the narrative a little bit. Yeah, it feels like they could go three and four or six and one. It's It really... Yeah. And it's just, the issue with this team is that they just, there's just way too much stuff that could com- completely combust during a game completely combust whether it's the non-embed minutes whether it's the ball handling at the end of the game whether it's the transition defense the defensive rebounding like there's just way too much stuff that can be an f minus in a specific game so yep i don't know they, they they really it's you have been harping on this point and i think you're absolutely right about it they are really really poor at doing the little things and uh is that coaching? Maybe. You know, maybe. Is that the players? I, I don't know. But it's it's frustrating. It's it's definitely frustrating to watch because they, they make things so, so much harder than they should. Uh, well, and, and they and got lucky last the night. The crazy thing is right now, they are currently the fifth best three-point shooting team in the league at 38%. They are currently the top in Jedi three-point defense at 32.9%. You have a five-plus percent disparity in three-point percentage with the volume of threes that we play at in the NBA today. You should not be a 500 team. Uh, and that goes to all the little things, the turnovers, the transition defense, the rebounding, all of that. If you have a bad shooting night, and thank goodness last night they did not, but if you do, it can get real ugly real quickly. Real quickly. I thought um, I thought Melton in particular. Now, now a lot of that was, was off Embiid, right? And that's yep. the, it's the blessing and the curse of his ISO game, right? Because he... When when he draws the defense and he's reading the floor correctly, it's a pretty easy swing swing for a D'Anthony Mountain three. Or it's a pretty easy swing, you know, if if they're shrinking the floor and he's on the wing. So I thought, you know, Joel had turnovers last night, too many, seven, right? But he also probably had more assists than his five. He was creating a lot yeah. of really good shots. And Melton, I want to give that guy credit because you looked at his numbers, like his efficiency was not great before last night's game last night's game when you're a kind of a, a low to medium usage player and you score what do you score 33 uh it was at least 30 i forget if you got a final one there 33 on like 8 of 12 three-point shooting that efficiency is going to go up quite a bit when that happens <laughs> yes. so he's pretty much back to he's, he's like just below his his averages over the past couple of years i want to give that guy credit because that we talk about the team's issues that guy is not part of the team's issues. And is there, uh, you know, as we talked about, are there going to be nights where he shoots three of 14 because he's overtaxed as a ball handler and making layups? He made both of his layups, I remember, last night, too, where he, you know, he had a nice under underneath the basket reverse layup. That's what I mean. You've got, you've got P.J. Tucker making a wide open corner three when there's not a guy within 15 feet of him. And you've got DeAnthony Melton making two layups and you still struggle to beat the, uh, the Lakers. That should yeah. be a win going away. It uh can't count on those two things every night. No. 
But I, I will say that guy has been a warrior. He's hurt. He, he's yeah. legitimately dealing with a back issue that I think by all accounts, you know, Embiid said after the game, it's not fun to watch uh, or he doesn't practice that much. And Doc said yeah. a couple of days ago, like, it can't be fun for him to be playing right now. It sure doesn't look like it on the court. Like, he might miss shots. He might make some rough decisions. That guy is still a great athlete, and all of the defensive numbers are still there. And he's playing, like, over the past 12 games, despite this freaking back injury, he's playing, like, 35 minutes yeah. a game, just under. It's, uh, I don't know. It's been really impressive. And, you know, th- this team has a lot of issues. Their, their third guard, when everybody is healthy, to me, is not even close to an issue. They, they got a good one in that dude. No, and they've got him under a contract that what he has one more year left at a real good rate, uh, and he's young and he's pliable, and you can put him in a bit, bunch of different spots. That was a you know I think a lot of Daryl Morey's moves from last summer are coming under scrutiny, <laughs> and a lot of them rightfully so. That is not one. That's a very good trade. I still can't believe you got him for Danny Green's ACL on a first round pick. Not even a good first round pick. Yeah, I know David Roddy had an N one against him a couple weeks ago. I, I'm not. Not seeing the benefit of that for Memphis quite as much. By by good first round pick, I just mean like the pick that you traded wasn't all that high. Not well, I wasn't talking about David Roddy specifically. Oh well, I the, am the value talking, of the twenty third pick. Well, I am. I'm talking about what Memphis's yeah. decision making is. Yeah, you're you're right. That's from from the Sixers standpoint. Roddy might end up being fine. I'm not trying to put him down, but like for a twenty third pick, they got real good value for that. I mean, we know DeAnthony Melton is fine. Yes. We know he's good, and we know he makes $8 million a year for the next couple of years, too. So it's, uh, yeah, that was a, a good piece of business. And and, he, and he's he still is, only 24. He's a good fit on this team. And you know what? He's also, like, he's pretty willing to let it fly. Embiid, he loves the term, let it fly, by the way. He loves yeah. it more than I do. He does not want, he does not want his shooters passing up shots. And Not he uses the specific term, let it fly, yeah. all the time. The yep. guy loves it. Yeah, That is the only thing you and Joel Embiid have in common, but it is it is the one. Yeah, He likes it more than I do, I think, <laughs> honestly. And it's just, you know, he says it all the time. Like, who cares if you miss? Uh, he's been very consistent about that over the uh, the years. And I don't know. And good on him because he knows that if, if there's that shooting, there's going to be more gravity for those players, and he's going to have a lot more space to operate. Like, he, he knows what he's doing. Joel should be a GM when he retires. Now, he probably is going to have too much money to care about doing something <laughs> yeah. like that. He's probably just going to... He might be like the GM of a, a soccer team. Do soccer teams even have GMs? I don't even know. You're the soccer guy. You tell me. Yeah, they have like sporting directors, but I, I don't think they actually have... Usually the coaches involved, whatever. It's it's a long tangent. Anyway, he can do whatever he wants when he retires because he's going to have made a lot of money and he's had the right to do it. But it's funny like listening to him talk... Like he, he sounds like he could be like a Maury ball disciple almost, you know, he could be like Michael Jordan, but a good GM basically, obviously not as good as Michael Jordan, the player, but I think he'd be a little bit better as a GM and a player picker. That's not a very high bar. Well, well, yeah. I mean, best player, worst executive ever, you know, there's no in between. There, there, there's a reason that those types don't usually end up being decision makers. Um, and a big part of that is because they've made so much money. Why put yourself through the daily grind of having to coach or be a GM of a basketball team. Yeah, you have to really love it. Let me ask you, what what do you make of this? The uh I mentioned the unbelievably poor not Embiid minutes. Like what 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 do they have to do? I mean, last night it was a lot of zone defense that kind of screwed them, but is it just Harden has to be better or I certainly to- think Harden has to be better. But their defense was, well, I mean, not that Harden's not a pro- part of that defensive problem. 
honestly, last night it was it happened in such a like a blink of an eye. Like that 13-2 runner, whatever. I think that happened in like three minutes. It was like sh- a shock to the system. Um, I think part of it was just like Lakers shot the shit out of the ball, which you don't really expect that team to do. Uh, so I think maybe their scheme was they were run out of it a little quicker. Um, but Paul Reed's not Paul Reed's been very up and down, and he he's shown a lot offensively as a finisher near the basket, which I'm intrigued by, which I didn't know he had in him. Uh, but his defensive decision making, I think, has been real suspect here over the last week or two. Uh, they need better play out of him. I think they're still trying to figure out some of the the pairings to run with that Harden lineup. Uh, I'm not sure they have that down, but you know, last night was weird because you just don't expect the Lakers to make shots like that. No, and and also last night was a little bit odd because the Lakers had LeBron and AD both on the floor. I guess they had Westbrook. Yeah, Be- because, because of the foul trouble, right? And Embiid went nuts against Brian at the end of the quarter. So it's almost like it's not trading baskets; you're trading runs almost. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. it's like yeah, we're gonna. And I saw some people a- get on Doc like, well, why don't they match Embiid's minutes to AD? Well, because AD was taken out real early because of the foul trouble. Like those were not natural rotations. You didn't want to take Embiid out that early, and you need to get Embiid rest. Like Embiid was off the court for three minutes, and the whole fucking thing burned down. No, I think I think to your point, certainly having AD and LeBron on there while Embiid was in his rest period did not like that was not the optimal um, rotation for. Paul Reed and company to succeed. Do you know Paul Reed's net rating on the season per cleaningtheglass.com? The worst on the team. It's minus 11 per yeah. 100 possessions. And I love B-Ball Paul, but it's it's clear to say that like even if he's not all at fault, he's not a complete stabilizer out there. No, That's, he's definitely uh, not a stabilizer. I am still pro- it goes back a little bit to where we were last year, where it's like, I don't 100% believe in B-Ball Paul, but I certainly don't believe in Trez as a, a playoff player. I probably believe in him a little more than I did DeAndre, just because DeAndre might have been the player in the league I believed in least. Um, but I don't necessarily buy Trez as a playoff option, so I want to see B-Ball Paul still get minutes, but he is... Um, it's been a little bit of a slog so far. He's tough. consistently getting the backup minutes, I would say, over the past month, and the results have been bad. And, you know, I I don't know what to uh, to make of it, but I, I certainly was really impressed with how Reed played in the playoffs last year. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, this has been a slog. Like, he, they have not been good when he's played. They've not been good when he and Harden have played, and maybe that just goes back to Harden has to be better and has to um, – lift the whole team up and really I'm not sure he's all that capable of doing that consistently right uh right now but yeah it's been I, I don't know it's just that's a hard way to win man when you're getting outscored by a point a minute yeah like a, a 48 point loss extrapolated over an entire game that's hard like that that is something that Joel Embiid has to work around and it's it should not be the case it just should not be that bad so uh you know, and he played entirely too. I mean, he played too many minutes. I'm, I'm a little bit on the Bontemps train where I, I don't care quite as much about the minutes after three three days of rest. But still, I don't it's, care too much about forty six minutes in one game. Yeah, I I wouldn't. He's what's he approaching like thirty seven minutes per night right now? Like that is the number that I worry about. Not so much one game, but the trend of of how many he's playing. That's fair. And he he certainly he missed time. Um, I don't know how much that is factored in, but the issue that this team has right now is that if he doesn't play 37 minutes per game, I, I, I said it 
a couple pods ago, the the Willy Wonka, you lose, you yeah. lose, sir. So I I don't know what to uh, what to make of that. So it's it's not great. You know, we're sitting here, and Harden had twenty eight and twelve, a nine for nineteen shooting. Yeah. Has there ever felt like a hollower twenty eight and twelve? He he had some good moments. I thought he was very good at the, that end of the second quarter. I I agree with you though. Remember, you said that the Lakers just kept scoring easily. The end of that second quarter was kind of a blast to watch from a neutral standpoint because there yeah. was just no defense being played. Yeah. I thought Harden made some really good passes during that time. They put Mate- passing is the one part of his game that I don't get frustrated by. They put Matisse in the well, game. All right, except for that fourth quarter. Yeah. I mean, they put Matisse in the game, and Matisse had three dunks in a two-minute span <laughs> now, at the end of the— to be fair, and I want to give Matisse credit for his cutting and his off-ball movement, like, their decision-making. I forget who closed out on him in the corner. What the fuck are you doing closing out on Matisse in the corner and giving him the baseline driving lane? Like, what are you doing? In terms of decision-making last night, both teams were just brain-dead. But you had that. He complete—like, they just lost him off the ball when he's in the middle of the paint. Like, it's not like that was a hard read or a great cut. Like, they just yeah. lost him. And that's the one part of the floor that he's actually a threat in is to dunk when he's two feet from the basket. Uh, so, yeah, he 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 got some buckets. Uh, I think that was a lot of defensive breakdowns, though. But to your point, like, when you move, you have a higher chance of the other team having a defensive breakdown. So, like, credit to that, for sure. It More was than Aust- PJ's given you. It was Austin Reeves who made that, that breakdown. Austin Reeves who can play a little bit, by the yeah. way. Yep. The Lakers... You know, obviously the the undrafted white kid who plays for the Lakers is probably going to get a little bit more hype if he shows like any sort of competency. But he's actually a decent player. I he is, yeah. So good for them. Now they have what like five NBA players. I mean, their their rotation is just not very good. And I thought LeBron was pretty bad down the stretch of that game. Uh, and that's beginning to yeah, beginning to which is. Look, he's he's played a lot of basketball. He's one of the greatest players of all time, but he was not he's not very good in that game. Uh you know who else wasn't very good in that game? In the beginning? Marathon man. Yeah. Look, I don't I don't know what else to say. He had had some defensive moments, but like you're on the court for thirty three minutes, you have three points, which honestly felt like overachieving. At least he took three threes. Now granted, he's being left wide the fuck open. Like the they're not even paying attention to him. Did you see what the Lakers did? They switched AD on him in the yeah. second half. They were like, all right, AD, you're guarding him, but you're not guarding him. Yeah. No, I mean, credit to the Lakers because, you know, AD got those three three thousand like five minutes of play. I think they did a pretty good job managing him throughout the rest to make sure that he could play. And he ended up playing 36 minutes. Uh, and a part of that was sticking him on guys like, you know, PJ Tucker, letting LeBron defend Embiid. Embiid. Yep. <laughs> Which is like, yeah, okay, they managed him, but man, that's that's not a good defensive matchup for you. <laughs> no, it's not, but like they they needed 30 plus minutes from AD to have a chance. Absolutely. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. It uh Yeah, look, the whole thing was uh there was a lot going on. <laughs> yeah, there was. There was there was a point because you know, we had to we we knew we were going to get a second podcast in over the weekend. We obviously couldn't do it tomorrow on Sunday because there was a game. So you're like, hey, well, we only have one uh, one game to talk about. Maybe we'll need some mailbag questions to fill some time. Nope, they gave us plenty to talk about last night. That was a weird one. That was, but they got the win. They are above 500. Everything is just a okay. It was a perfectly normal win. Find a new slant. Yeah. Holy shit, this team. I'll tell you what. A lot of times, like frustrating teams can be tough to talk about. And I think it was you who said. 
a lot of times, like great teams can get boring because you expect them to win every night. Bad teams can get boring because nobody really cares. The middle of the road teams, they can find new and creative ways to give you something to talk about. And this team is a perfect example of that. I do worry a little bit about the fan apathy that is seeping in. I think expectations and the weight of those expectations and the fr- how frustrated people are, are leading to apathy. But in terms of what's going on on the court, they're fucking creative in giving us stuff to talk about. I'll give them that. No, we got, we got almost 40 minutes on just that game. And that was chock full of funny, sad, good. It was, it was a lot of good oh, stuff. Something else. Not, something not a else. lot of good stuff. It was a lot of stuff. Some of yes. it good. Uh, also, too, I, I, I made this point earlier, but Joel's shooting 14 of 19 just, like, shouldn't go completely under the radar. Yeah. like that. Three for four from three. That's one thing he hasn't been making this year, too. And, and frankly, I thought the collapse at the end of the game was he was the least yeah. culpable for that stuff. I mean, look, there might have been a couple of balls bouncing off of his face, like a couple turnovers that he had his hands on. I wish we had a had a close-up of that one. That was... Uh, <laughs> That was goofy. Oh, the other thing, too, is people thought, like, oh, why is Tobias inbounding the ball? He's your worst passer. Well, look, man, Melton just threw the ball away yeah, twice. Melton had two, and Melton had a fantastic game. He had two bad turnovers there in the final minute, for sure. Harden is probably your best passer. Now, maybe that's the answer. You put Harden in the game. But you don't put your point guard in. Like, he should be the one yeah. getting the ball and getting fouled. Do you want Embiid throwing the ball in? Probably not, right? You probably <laughs> yeah. want him on the other end of the court. So then, so then it comes down to shake and... And Tobias, and by the way, Shake had a turnover too, inbounding the ball. So yeah. I don't know. There, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of blame to go around. I'm not sure if there was like a specific answer. Anyway, jo- Joel was awesome. I thought his defense was pretty good for most of the night too. Uh, credit to no, him. No, he was he, he was he up played for that really game. well. Yeah. He was up for that game. And a lot of times <laughs> we can get on him on his energy level. That was not one. There were a lot of mistakes, but the energy level was good. Yeah. All right, I think uh, I think that is just about all that I have. We did spend 40 minutes on one game that wasn't particularly all that. I'm not sure there's a lot of fans out there really dying to relive that one, but it's what we have to work with. So thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man.